0: Dr. Elliot Maynard is a visionary, and his vision encompasses not just one, two, or even several ideas – He sees the future as encompassing a spectrum of revolutionary concepts, and our role is integral in bringing these all to light. By blending the best of our innate spiritual and metaphysical abilities with that of advanced science, largely from a quantum perspective, we will drastically shift the paradigm of how we live our lives. In his latest book, Brave New Mind Living in a Future Science World, Dr. Maynard elegantly lays out 25 master keys that he feels will catapult us into a new way of living. In our conversation, we discuss some of these ideas concepts like the art and science of dowsing, the importance of utilizing intuition, and why children should be encouraged at a young age to develop this ability the power of coherent prayer and meditation and even the reality of extraterrestrial healing centers currently in operation today. Though challenging to cover all that he lays out in this book, we managed to touch on some important concepts just enough to get us all thinking about what we each are capable of achieving when we utilize our Brave New mind. Dr. Elliot Maynard, it is indeed a pleasure to have you on the show today to discuss your latest book, Brave New Mind, Living in a Future Science World. And I gotta tell you, this is truly what your book suggests and really gets into that in order for mankind to evolve to a new level of consciousness, it it will require a blending or a synthesis of both left and Brain linear logical thinking with right brain intuitive quantum processes. Now, the latter we've certainly spent a great deal of time discussing on this show. I have to tell the audience, Elliot leaves no stone unturned in this great book of his. You know, you organize the book into sections that you refer to as master keys. 25 of them to be exact, but within each key are a plethora of ideas from which we can beautifully integrate this future science. And I'd like to have you touch on some of those today. If we can, Elliot, let's begin with the subject of dowsing. You had some very early experiences with this very old divining modality, and they've stuck with you. So if you could give us some background on your introduction to this process and how we can utilize it today as part of this future science paradigm.
1: Yes, um, I was my inter- first introduction to dowsing was in Maine, and uh, where we had a summer camp. And mm-hmm. I was growing up; I was maybe nine years old, and uh, I noticed my dad and my uncle up up uh, in an area looking for a buried pipe with a forked stick. And so I was fascinated with this, and I remember going over the pipe, holding the forked stick under a little tension. And when I went over the pipe, it pulled down so hard, it actually tore the bark off the um, tree uh, branch. So later on, uh, I was taught by a master dowser from England uh, on the principles. And what I use is a couple of what you call L rods. Uh And they're just uh, pieces of of welding rod uh, or coat hanger wire that in the shape of an L. And you hold a short limb in your hand, and you point them straight out. Now, different people who douse have little different systems of their own, so this is something that you just need to know. You set this in your mind so that when you get to a certain place, the rods will open or cross as you set this in your mind. And that's where these pipes are buried. Now, I've uh, later on found that many well drillers. And people from the electric companies and uh, other utility companies have these in their truck and they use them. I've seen this happen so many times; it's it's really quite hilarious.
0: Huh? That's very interesting. I read that in your book, and you know, I have to say, my husband and, and mm-hmm. I had a ran a um, a telecommunications company, not electrical, but low voltage, I guess you would call it. And so we knew a lot of the contractors. And to hear you say that, I I wonder. I wonder if uh, this person had. L-rods in their car that's something that you would not know very interesting well i ask you Elliot there's we're talking about a science essentially a technology um and yet there's a spiritual aspect I think to this as well where do those two sort of coincide or, or cross
1: well what L-rods or pendulums and other de- dowsing oriented devices do is simply provide a little crutch for our mind mm-hmm. to uh so that you can get feedback from your own intuitive abilities and build these mm. up. Now, the beauty of dowsing is that it isn't just used to find buried pipes and power lines. Uh, there is a whole field, especially in Canada, where they use psychic archaeology to the point where one person has a government, an official government uh, project that has been funded because he was so successful compared to other archaeologists they couldn't, they couldn't simply deny what I like to call a shattering glimpse of the obvious.
2: Uh The
1: wonderful thing about dowsing, and I would teach this to children in their earliest levels, because it helps them really get a handle on their intuitive senses, you can answer questions with those L-Rod's. That means you can put these questions up to the uh, cosmic information field and you'll get the best answer. The key is to learn to ask the questions properly. This mm-hmm. is a wonderful ability for young children and anyone to have. It's almost survival, data sure. mining, you know, picking the right priorities and questions.
0: Right. Well, I know, I, as we were saying offline, that I, I've dabbled in dowsing a little bit. I have used I, uh, L-Rod's, I I, I guess. What is what i was using hangers essentially is what i would do and i would clip them and create <laughs> yeah. l's but i also use a pendulum um you know and typically for people that don't know how it works uh, the the pendulum the weighted pendulum um what you d- typically look for is or program it to denote yes with uh, a certain motion no with a certain motion or i don't know with a certain motion typically yes is clockwise, no is counterclockwise and oscillation is I don't know. The trick I found, tell me what you think about this, but the trick that I think um, you have to do is to be able, yes, to ask the questions properly, but to get your left brain out of the way. You know, I, I, what I tell people is if you're going to try this practice, start practicing on things that you really are kind of neutral about because I think if we're looking for these very big, life-changing answers, we can kind of influence the movement of the pendulum because we're not really being objective about
1: it. Absolutely, right on. And this is, this is why this is such great training mm-hmm. uh, for anyone, and especially busy people. I carry a set of these in my car in the glove box. I uh-huh. carry them in my computer bag and if i d I'm in a hotel and I can't find them I'll I'll take a an old coat hanger and, and bend it until I've got a couple of L rods. Funny? So this is something any child anywhere in the world who can who can find some old wire or a coat hanger can make for themselves and it's like Wow! I have a, a new internet connection with the cosmic computer. Absolutely. In my
2: consciousness. I think
0: that's great. So exciting. One more thing on the dowsing. There's so many subjects that I want to get to today. But I also find it compelling, Elliot, that the process of dowsing, really any form of divination, uh, is simply a conduit by which our consciousness operates. In fact, I think our bodies can also act as a divining tool for our own consciousness. And, you know, I know that you mentioned your book, how some holistic practitioners will use muscle testing or kinesiology, I want to make sure I say that properly to obtain information about a patient 's health, therefore, the body is sort sort of like a virtual dowsing tool wouldn 't you agree
1: yes and and there's i 've got a funny story about that yeah i uh, uh, several years ago, I worked with one of the foremost uh, alternative medical professionals who trained people in uh, the techniques of, uh, you know, infusion and chelation therapy and mm-hmm. all of these things. And I went to his clinic in Alaska at one time, and uh, he was doing some work on me, and, and he kept uh, sticking his arm out and having me pull it down. My the, the person that was traveling with us at the time was also a kind of a chiropractor, and he complained to him that he had a... Uh, sore arm because he was he was
2: so mm-hmm. mental
1: in his ability to douse kinesiology. Uh-huh. The way it's used now is simply another form of dousing, mm-hmm. but the doctors kind of it it's kind of got a little mental tweak so that they can relate to it. So this was a back room thing. So. Many times these guys will go into the back room and do a little of that kinesiology on themselves with their own fingers usually. Hmm. But he was he was so he had he was so focused on this mentally that he actually had a problem with his shoulder. Uh you don't have to do it that wow. that violently but it's just kind of a funny story. It and is there are many story. practitioners who use this but don't tell their patients.
0: But don't talk about it. Isn't that interesting? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Well, let's this this kind of this subject kind of uh, to me relates to the whole idea of uh, not necessarily dowsing but divination that's remote viewing in your book you talk about this and how this too can be used as a part of the future science remote viewing how would this be useful for the layperson Elliot who would like to explore this form of psychic development
1: well first of all uh, the uh, if we can just you know the term ascension frequency. It's a certain critical point where uh, we have to get to as a certain critical mass of the human race. And our vibrations, our vibrational frequency has been speeding up exponentially. Mm-hmm. And also, at the same time, we've been hit exponentially by a number of new factors which are pushing our evolution. They're, they're forcing us. Uh, in the same way that wars and tragedies have in the past. But many, many positive things are coming out of this, and mm-hmm. it's, I think it's a time to celebrate because uh, there's a great amount of, uh, it's a feeling of reward and justification of your whole heart and your whole being when we start to do these positive things uh, like you're doing with your radio show. hmm
0: hmm Okay. Interesting. No, I, I I definitely resonate with what you're saying. It, this is really, I, uh, in my book, uh, Conscious Musings, I have a chapter called The Dichotomy of Consciousness and the Precipice of Change. And I think this is what you're saying, that we're living in this sort of dichotomous situation of the ultimate in challenge and crisis. And yet within that, buried within that, the ultimate and opportunity, um, we're being, we're being, tested this is a maybe a universal litmus test frequency is no doubt raising we are no doubt on this arc of a shift if you will so it's very interesting well, in,
1: in the book i tell about this uh, in in this way that we we have been moving into this uh, and all of the work that was done sitting in a cave for 30 years and i've i've known people that have uh, some tibetan monks that did this I have a very close friend uh, who works with the Va- Dalai Lama. I was hand-trained by him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he told me that, you know, he went in a cave for three years, and then he went, he quit the monastery and married an Australian lady, had a child, came back, and he now has a young Tibetan wife, and he's very happy. But, you know, there are so many incongruous things that are happening, mm-hmm. and with this new field, I, I decided that the old things were not working. Kill or be killed, uh, survival oh, of the that's fittest. That's right. The fall, rise and fall of empires and the great rape of a whole forest, especially in Europe and other places, to build war machines and all of this. So what I've created in this book is a whole new operating system, which allows us to respond to these changes which were unheard of or unthought of even two decades ago. hmm
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's great. It's, um, I think people are naturally gravitating toward this sort of thing. I'm finding in my work, more and more people are willing to talk about, um, these sort of modalities that you mention in your book, and are really, I don't want to use the term desperate, but very anxious to start to implement these things. But the thing that you bring out in your book, Elliot, that I think is so elegant, is, again, we're not talking about the annihilation necessarily of the old ways. um, But a graduation, in other words, using the left brain, that linear processing, it's still there, it still has a purpose. And yet it needs to be synthesized, with the right side the intuitive side and and both need equal play right
1: yes you're right and there is an artful way to integrate the two and this new paradigm uh i call it a master field paradigm Mm -hmm. which is future science technology has 25 different aspects Mm -hmm. which are different pathways different threads in them in a magical carpet if you will for people to be able to do these things themselves. And because all of these people went before us, now that the frequencies are speeded up, you don't need to sit in a cave anymore mm-hmm. uh, for 30 years or sit under the bow tree. Now, I tell people, look at it this way with the uh, you know intuitive mind and the linear mind, that You have a reel-to-reel tape deck or a VHS cassette, and when you want to go to a specific part on that, you simply wind it backward or forward. Now, the quantum field is more like a compact disc where the laser goes directly to that point in the field immediately that you have requested the information, that specific piece. And the quantum field has always been there. And I believe great masters like Leonardo da Vinci use this, and tap this, and the saints. But the difference now is that we can do it consciously, and this field is right here. all we need to open ourselves to the possibility that exists, then agree to work with it. And and when we move into this, time and space become irrelevant. So the past, the present, and the future are right there, and this is why you can bring future ideas uh, you could say back from the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm smiling because as you as you mentioned going back to the future, let's talk about. Uh, you cite the the great work of my personal friend and mentor, P.M.H. Atwater, and her book, Future Memory. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, you know, it's this is rooted, this future memory is rooted in what we call the future based on a linear model. But in actuality, as you said, it's simultaneous or maybe parallel with the past and present. Don't notions of precognition come to mind when we're talking about future memory? Is this the same thing or is it different? Future memory and precognition?
1: You know, whenever we try to put are uh, human words, which, which are pa- in pale comparison to this kind of new energy Absolutely. and creativity. <laughs> uh, we run into these little things, so we need to not get too anal and, and uh, educationally pedantic about this. I think we just need to realize we are resonating. And what we're doing with these radio shows, which have all of a sudden proliferated, And remember the global brain uh, from the uh, whole Earth concept, the overview concept, where astronauts, humans, began to see the Earth from space. And they had a whole different concept. Now we've got two or three overlays. Elon Musk is throwing up a whole uh, 700 satellites, about 240 pounds each, in the next three years. And so we have new consciousness overlays for the global consciousness field and so this is this parallels our human development
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'd like to
0: have you elaborate on that a little bit that's that's a bit complex i'm trying to get my arms on on what you're saying new layers of consciousness
1: yes i'm, <laughs> I'm simply real uh, in this new paradigm master paradigm i i speak about humans and their their home their home world planet Mm -hmm. which are inseparable. We cannot separate the two because even when I talked to the people in the aerospace technology group, we always talked about space oases. And what this means is that any uh, trip uh, by our present technology would take a long time to go to Mars, uh, several months, I believe, and to put people in a can for that length of time is could be really disturbing. So one of the things we always said we take a little uh, garden-type thing with aquariums and this sort of thing because people in their consciousness could never stand to be separated from uh, their home world.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to draw an illustration in my mind as you're talking about this. Wow. Okay. I'm not quite sure where to go with this one. This is interesting. We could we could probably have a whole show on this in and of itself. <laughs> You're talking about traveling to Mars. Uh, uh, well, there's a lot of interesting sort of underground discussion going on about has that already happened. Now we're getting into sort of the fringe area of, uh, of travel and what is really happening. This breakaway civilization perhaps Are you prepared to talk about that a little bit in other words we're hearing one thing officially and unofficially there is chatter that these things have already taken place and and not necessarily by the mode of of transport that we're acquainted with if you know what I mean
1: bingo you just um, I I did <laughs> I have to admit I I let quite a few cats out of the bag but I tried to do it in a diplomatic and creative way so that I was never pointing fingers at anyone. Uh, And I can tell you this, Mm -hmm. that for a number of years, I've I've been in contact with uh, an uh, ex-military person who is also uh, involved in uh, Zero Point Energy. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he says, I'm not really a physicist, but I did some people favors in higher places and they returned some information to me and he said if people really knew what was going on he said their hair would curl he said for twenty years we've been traveling to the moon and mars and other planets using uh... he didn't specify but essentially it's wormhole technology stargate technology and a lot of this information has been leaked down by people who are aerospace engineers and in these covert projects through science fiction.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Oh, I really think that, um, I mean, you look at Star Trek, of course, and the work of Gene uh, Rottenberry, and <clears throat> I think it was, I don't know a lot about it, but I think toward the end of his life, he, he discussed how, you know, these concepts that were, uh, that were put forward in Star Trek were, are not fiction at all, but rather a hint or intimation as to what's been going on for quite some time. Well, that's, you know, I know our audience would love to stay on that topic for a while. But I think, you know, I think all of these things, Elliot, are related somehow. You know, there's... there's,
1: Absolutely. They really are. Hmm. That's why I wove them into this uh, fabric. And, you know, I, in some ways, I, in many ways, I can't take responsibility for this book because when I finished it and when the type was transferred into the uh, final format I could see the book with new eyes and I looked at it and I said, How the hell did I write that book? I can't I can't believe I did. So I'm sure you have had the same feeling and many of our listeners also. Mm-hmm. And this is what is happening because the more we're able to talk and share these experiences, the more it becomes part of our whole uh daily Life and the consciousness, the global consciousness, is shifting at light speed.
0: I think so. I think you're absolutely right. Well, look at how burgeoning the alternative media uh, industry—if you, I wouldn't call it an industry—but the the idea of um, alternative media is, as compared to mainstream, because this is where you find this sort of information. And you know, let's talk about anecdotal experiences that you know, experiences that people are having that fall into these areas that we're discussing and will discuss really had nowhere to go prior to this proliferation of alternative media where these subjects were discussed. So something quite magical, I think is happening. And again, as we referred to earlier, in the midst of all the trauma and tribulation, there's a magic that's embedded, I say the magic is embedded in the madness, the crystal within the crisis, the diamond within the dust. So if we can see that, we can keep it moving.
1: <laughs> well, I love the crystal within the crisis. That's a beautiful metaphor.
0: Yeah. I, well, I'm a crystal collector as well. And, you know. Oh, yes, and, I and,
1: <laughs> Yes. And, and I was going to say that, you know, uh, it is so uh, heartwarming and encouraging the feeling that happens when we are able to share. And I say we to include all of our our audience to share these things without conflict, Mm -hmm. just like Mm -hmm. a family would sit and talk about them. And I write about the 100-monkey phenomenon, Mm -hmm. and that's simply when when we get a critical mass of coherent people who agree on some basic tenets, then we can have amazing power. It's like like, uh, fiber optic technology is current. Uh, coherent light. Mm -hmm. And when, when we get coherent, we, a very relatively small number of coherent consciousness people, either making prayers or simply making statements and agreeing on them, have amazing power to change the world, and I write about this, too, In also about invincible defense technology. Uh-huh.
0: I think that's profound, and I did uh, read that section about the 100th monkey. I, You know, I really didn't know the origin of where that came from, but what I picked up, and if I'm understanding correctly, is that over a period of time, if you have a group of, in this case, monkeys that were, what was it, they were eating... Um, what was it? Sweet potatoes. I think sweet that potatoes, were in the yes. sand, <laughs> and what started was sort of this trend. We'll say where one of the monkeys would clean off the sand from the sweet potatoes, and real, you know, or put it put the sweet potatoes in the water to clean. the 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 fruit or the vegetable and then eat it but then others would start to they would consciously see this act and they would replicate it but then over a period of time it became an unconscious process and monkeys that were remote that were not in the vicinity were doing the same thing so it becomes almost ingrained in our consciousness am i understanding that properly is that where that sort of comes from
1: Yes, it is. Uh, I I would call this a consciousness phenomenon, mm-hmm. and we really don't mm-hmm. we don't yet, although we're on the verge of it, have the hard physical evidence for it. But if uh, a man called Rupert Sheldrake, sure, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
0: I said I'm agreeing. I I love his work, Rupert Sheldrake.
2: Yes. Oh
1: yes, and and if you want to have some fun, read the Secret Life. Life of inanimate objects. I think he's the one that wrote that one,
2: mm-hmm. and he
1: talked about all of this sort of thing and synchronicity. And it's, and this happened also at a certain date in the 1800s with glycerin, which was shipped in barrels and was a liquid. And apparently, uh, some of the transporters, the, these were sailing ships at the time, I believe, found that the glycerin was forming a uh, gel in these barrels, and it happened on one ship, and then they started to see it elsewhere, and all of a sudden, all the glycerin that was being shipped in the world changed its essentially liquid crystalline structure. Isn't that something? And there are other examples that that are... uh, The the interesting thing is what happened when all the monkeys on the island all of a sudden started washing their potatoes. This also happened simultaneously on two other islands which are over seventy five miles away, what exactly. we scientists were observing. Yeah.
0: Well that well that is the 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 epitome of the quantum effect, yes. You know, Absolutely. and, and non locality. I think that is yes. amazing. And so that really makes your point that, you know, all it really takes is a group of coherent uh, you know, individuals looking at these ideas and really implementing them as a part of their a lifestyle over a period of time it's going to have perhaps a non-local effect and literally shift the paradigm for the planet
1: that's well it's very surprising now John Hagelin took this he's a physicist and uh, a consciousness researcher he's head of the Maharishi University of Business in the Midwest and John um he uh formed a a concept called invincible defense technology,
2: uh-huh.
1: and and an organization based on that. Now, what this means is that at the time he used the ancient uh, works, uh, which were brought into modern times by Maharishi Yoga, the one that's uh, famous with the Beatles. Uh-huh. But this was this goes back to an event 1,500 years ago where there was a very large group of monks, like 30 or 50,000 that gathered in Tibet somewhere in that area. And they created such a powerful field, they were able to move, move huge stones around and all of this. So it goes back to there. Now, fast forward. The Ecuadorian military has several groups of soldiers working to perfect meditation techniques coherently. And John Hagelin has made uh, uh, great strides in validating this statistically when certain coherent meditators focus on a certain group, the crime rates have have dropped like 20 or 30 percent. So they have hard evidence. It's called Invincible Defense Technology and it operates at the quantum level below the physical causes and you can remove the causes uh, of uh, conflict and even the creation of weapons of mass destruction because you're working below that level, at the quantum level, where science and consciousness technology come together.
0: That's so exciting. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm familiar with the experiment. I, I wasn't quite sure that what it was called. I know Lynn McTaggart, <clears throat> who wrote, among other things, The Intention Experiment, I think cites that that uh, that experiment, if you will. So, yes. well, that's powerful. That's po- Well, let me ask you this, Elliot, what percentage of the population do you think it would take? And I don't mean, you know, exact percentage, but it's been said that it would only take, a, a you know, the square root of 1% of, of the population to shift the paradigm in whatever way it wanted to. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, how many of us would need to be in that mindset to be able to eradicate war from that Quantum level, if you will, uh, and other things.
1: Well, if you think of the butterfly effect yes. theoretically, yes. Uh, one person, but it t- the the power of coherent prayer, meditation, and I really don't separate the two. Uh, it doesn't matter what culture or religion you're from. if people can just get together on a set of common points and focus on those, and meditate on those and create group uh shows you see uh, a radio show like this is an envelope uh living of a living consciousness in itself if we flick that switch in our mind, and all we have to do is say, make it so, and it will happen. Mm-hmm. That's simple now.
0: Well, you know, you're bringing up the caveat of agreeing on a principle and the conundrum, if you will, the problem, I think, with so many people today, unfortunately, is that we are still sort of hardwired to debate and to argue Um, And this gets into a whole nother area, perhaps, of the ego getting involved. And I want to be right. And even in this space, unfortunately, I have to say, even in the uh, what we call alternative, uh, the alternative spectrum and all of the subjects that come with it, there's still a lot of contention. There's still a lot of, uh, you know, sort of push and pull. So that's that big caveat to be able to agree on a set of principle or one principle and go with that without getting too much into the nitty gritty, <laughs> you know. It's that's that's the thing that I think is a struggle still for so many of us.
1: Well, yes, and and this is part of our third dimensional. Let's let's call it the human condition. Yeah. The way I see this is that a certain percentage of people are couched in their denial like shells along the shore. That's a line from Simon and Garfunkel's mm. "Dangling Conversations." and they not only want to keep their heads in the sand or somewhere else they uh... also create these amazingly elaborate uh... you you see how the violence has come up on on the uh... tv shows in the last few years who can do the latest disembowelment or whatever Mm -hmm. and they have their sensitivity level has gotten uh... you know so their shell has gotten so hard that they want to stay inside that shell. Yeah. So immediately when someone breaks through with a new idea, let's take uh, Tesla Motors, Elon Musk, uh, as an example, there will be a number of people, a certain percentage that do this knee-jerk reaction. Why? Because they're afraid of moving from their comfort position. They're Absolutely. afraid of change. Mm-hmm. Fear is our great, a great enemy here, and they will probably stay that way. The good news is that... We have, on the other end of the spectrum, the uh, spiritual warriors, and it's uh, it's a wonderful kind of feeling to be in this group, and I think that feeling is addictive in a good way, mm-hmm. and I think that's what one of the things that's going to really... Save us as a human species and human race.
0: Well, that's certainly an optimistic class. Have full perspective that I choose to join with you, (laughs) but you're right. You know, we're we're battling something that I think is holding on for dear life, and that is fear. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the frequency of fear. I want to get into sound and frequency, etc., etc. But let's let's talk about frequency for a little bit. Everything including and especially emotions have a frequency and when you think of fear what we just mentioned here it seems to be a very when you when you look at a radio dial i always i love this analogy of a radio dial you've got 88.9 or or they're about at one end of the spectrum you know 107.9 at the other the higher end of the spectrum it seems like there's still a lot of people that are in that lower fear frequency on the dial how do we shift that how do we shift well, it? And it should be pretty
1: easy, right? <laughs> Theoretically, it's pretty easy because we can, once we set a coherent frequency and, and learn how to hold this properly, we can also bring in certain technologies to amplify this. We can create positive, uh, let's uh, remember that sub, it's it's not a subliminal thing in any kind of negative way, but we can energize these um Radio shows, pictures, uh, all of this—we can consciously energize these things and make them very powerful uh, change agents. Mm-hmm. We have that. We have that ability. Uh, we're just now starting to really talk about it and share it. And the delight of this is the the fact that anyone can start getting involved in this from their own center and. And develop their whole life around this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I agree with you and I'm thinking about modalities tools that we might use to to aid us in this process until we can do it without the aid of external tools. Let's talk about sound for a little bit. I really resonate with the idea of using sound as a shifter of frequency and you also talk about this in your book. Um, let's talk about sound. What, what's, what's this all about?
1: <laughs> oh I think you, you know, I, I did a lot of, uh, with my previous uh, mate who, for 35 years, she was a celebrity psychic, and we traveled around the world with yeah. Guns and Roses, and, and I, I, I love the energy of rock concerts, and you know, that kind of energy can be turned to the positive. And, and music and art, or especially music, It's a universal healing force, and witness the Israeli-Palestinian orchestra and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, and it just unites people because they get there and they say, we're musicians, we want to jam together, you know, we don't care. I've sat down, I worked in the Middle East, and I've sat down with Israelis and Palestinians, and we we said we could go have some tea or a few beers and solve all the problems in about 20 minutes, and Absolutely. then shake hands and be happy. Mm-hmm. But it's our damned government too. do I hear this again and again. It's our government policies. Mm-hmm. They don't have prejudice necessarily against other races and countries. It's the governments that put this image up for people to see.
0: No know? question about it, yeah. You and I both have spent some time in the Middle East, and, boy, what a different yeah. perspective when you go wow, over there. Especially
1: for ladies. And <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really really an advocate for for the new the new spirit of of women to emerge my god we've had enough testosterone uh, have we not really oh yeah yeah well that's a subject <laughs> that's done.
0: yeah that's a subject that's coming up as well in terms of you know looking at sort of the underground history the unofficial history of how the the female energy was was squashed you know uh, where we once lived in an egalitarian society it moved into a patriarchal society and that's where that t- testosterone took off so yeah all of these subjects very interesting are finally starting to come to the fore and our unofficial what I call unofficial history is starting to be revealed. So all of these things are tools to help us. Let's I want to stay on the sound thing for a little bit Elliot because I think this is so cool. I want to talk about the Schumann residence which I'm uh, somewhat familiar with on a cursory basis. In your book you cite an experiment that took place in the year that I was born, 1963 everyone now you know how old I am, (laughs) Um, in which if I want to, I want to say this properly, Professor Rudker Weaver of the Max Planck University. He took a group of individuals to an underground bunker for four-week intervals. Uh, He purposely isolated them from what is known as the Schumann resonance, which is a natural frequency that our planet emits. He wanted to see whether the absence of this frequency would affect uh, individuals in any way, whether adversely or to their benefit, the results were quite stunning. Could you could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes, this was way back, uh, so the, this was quite pioneering in its way. Yeah. Essentially, they they cut the students off from any uh, EMF uh, electron electromagnetic frequency uh, smog. We call it electronic smog. Mm-hmm. And they spent some time in there, and they became very restless. He he. Uh, monitored their activities and all this sort of thing and at at some point after a couple of weeks he put this machine down there which created the 6.8 beats of the heartbeat of earth the so-called freuq fr, uh, schumann resonance mm-hmm. frequency and they they started they, they had headaches and all of these went away and they they returned to much more normal now this has been evolved and evolved so that uh, there are new, there are many devices on the market that will help reinforce this. But what has happened with the electronic smog, this heartbeat of Earth, which affects all living things, and they're synchronized and resonating with this, has been so disturbed by all of these cell phone towers and, yeah. and on and on and on and other electronics that it's shifted and how this is created is it's created by thunderstorms within the atmospheric cavity the top of our atmosphere the ionosphere and the surface of the earth and thousands of these storms are going off at any particular moment on some part of earth it resonates this cavity like the ringing of a bell so this is very important it's something that we could actually put out cell phones and cordless phones in theoretically this is my idea That create positive energy and healing energies. If we really wanted to, of course, it's going to cost some money for the research. But people are getting more and more discriminating about this now.
2: Uh huh.
0: That's very interesting because, well, getting. I want to. I want to use this experiment back in 1963 as kind of our marker, and the idea that this what we call electro electro magnetic or electronic smog that we are being bathed in virtually every day that is really something to think about you know i tell people um that may not be aware of the subject that please as much as possible keep your cell phones away from you i do not bring them up into the bedroom or any other device for that matter but not just the cell phones but the towers themselves of course we're dealing with the smart meter issue now yep. microwaves et cetera, etc um so what we're assume, what you you must assume i guess is that are we are we being shielded from this natural frequency that the planet emits the sh- human frequency Schumann sh- resonance because of all the smog is there literally a barrier there between us and, and that natural beat
1: absolutely and um and this is—it's uh, hard to get away from it now, anywhere in the world. But but it's possible. And of course, uh, I I had a, a very uh, high-level scientist tell me that if you got yourself down in the earth in a in a cave which was isolated, uh, that's maybe fifty or hundred feet underground, that it is very much easier to meditate because this is so much more of a natural environment in the sense that it's shielded from all this radiation which is really pushing the human consciousness into a new evolutionary state. The whole point of my book is we cannot solve the problems that have come up, these evolutionary uh pressures which you know, they're put there to help us evolve in one sense.
2: I do we I cannot
1: agree. survive mm-hmm. them unless we begin to use a new way of of using our technology and putting it together with consciousness technology and coming out with something which is synergistic it's greater than the sum of the parts wow
0: mm-hmm. well you mentioned that um, all of the <clears throat> devices and technology that we're using that are adversely affecting us could possibly be reversed so that it works in tandem with this natural frequency rather than blocking it is that what you're saying that there's a way we can do wow. that
1: wow <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, there's a there's a whole new uh, new key that you just created. So hopefully, <laughs> you can elaborate and and bring in other guests on your show. It's wonderful when this kind of show is done at at such a high level, in my opinion, and of understanding from your part and your your uh, guests and and the topics themselves, because only two or three decades ago. You know, anyone would have pretty well gotten roasted that put this kind of stuff out. <laughs> you well,
0: know? I can I can attest to that because I actually came from mainstream media many moons ago here in the Boston area and then some other mm-hmm. markets. So I believe me, I know I remember I worked at a radio station uh, which is still in existence, Kiss One Hundred and Eight WXKS. Oh, SF. I remember that absolutely. Yeah. That's where I cut my teeth, and uh, we actually were probably pretty pioneering because we did have an astrologer on. Uh, every week, but that's about as far as we go. <laughs> so, wow. Well, it's thank you very much. I I enjoy doing this. But again, this is it's fascinating. And I, I absolutely enjoy talking to people like yourself, Elliot, because you're on the cutting edge of this. We've got to, you know, I want people so much to not look at this as novelty, the things that we're talking about, but as, um, you know, tools to help shift this paradigm. We're, we're on the cusp of something really huge. I'd like to tell you about a little experiment I did with sound, if, if you would indulge me and the audience, if you'd indulge me. Um, you know, we talk about the planets and some star systems having their own unique frequency and even uh, emitting their own sound. And I, it wasn't too many years ago that I learned about this, that uh, the sun, in fact, has its own unique sound. Something about that resonated with me. And so I sought out to find, I was able to find a recording of the sun, um, that NASA had made, and I was able yes. to listen to it. Um, in fact, my husband and I both would sort of listen to it, and I had it in a room, the stereo. I'd play the sound where my plants were, and the plants absolutely um, proliferated. They grew. They were they were healthier. But here's a little experiment that I did with water and the sound of the sun. And it's a little bit lengthy, so indulge me for a minute, but this is really kind of neat what we're talking about what I basically did, and it also involves dowsing, I took a glass of water and I put it on a ledge in our hallway. I wanted to try to get the feel for the structure of the water prior to uh, putting it in front of the sound of the sun. And I'll explain how I did that. But what I basically did was I doused over with a pendulum over the water sample. And I noted the motion that it was making. And we'll just say it was a a clockwise motion at, uh, you know, circular motion. Mm -hmm. Then what I would do is go take the glass of water into another room where the sound was playing, literally put the glass of water in front of the speakers playing, oh, a couple of rotations of that sun sound, bring the glass of water back, put the pendulum over it. And I noted a distinct difference. It was an oscillating motion. I did this not once, not twice, but probably for a couple of weeks. And it was identical identical motions before and after and therefore told me there was something about that sound vibration of the sun that was changing the structure of the water
1: what do you think absolutely this is (laughs) um this is a perfect example of of one of the things that we stress is for the new paradigm future science technology bringing ancient and modern technologies together Together. Mm -hmm. and these kinds of things that you were doing were probably the same things that the ancient shaman would do, only usually those shaman and and seers would fairly jealously guard their their knowledge for good reason because they could get nailed by the church or Mm -hmm. other, you know, people that objected to this. And all of the great leaders in the past had had psychic advisors remember that it was the ladies, the women who Who worked together as as uh, energetic poles with the pharaohs, uh, and and they had a great part in as the priestesses, and of course uh, at the temple of Delphi too in Mm -hmm. Greece. Oh,
0: absolutely, yeah. I interviewed a, a wonderful woman by the name of Dr. Christine Page. Oh, about a year and a half ago, who wrote the book, uh, The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, in which she gets into a lot of what you're talking about here. And so much that's not known by our modern woman today and how much had been contributed from that perspective in our history. So, yeah. Wow. Well, listen, the time is flying and I, th- there's still some stuff to get to. So let's uh, let's continue. Um, this was very interesting to me in uh, in your book, Brave New Mind, and that is the idea of human extraterrestrial Healing. I'm going to say it again for the audience, human extraterrestrial healing. Can you explain, Elliot, what this is all about? And particularly if you could talk about a clinic in Israel that's actually implementing such a practice. What is extraterrestrial healing?
1: Well, uh, there was a, a gentleman named uh, Adrian D.V.I. Advir in uh, Israel. And he started to become, I think it was a computer Technician or scientist, and he got interested for one reason or another in more psychic uh, technologies. And so he consulted a seer or, or you know, reader, whatever, in that country. And they they got this apparently call or idea coming down, channeled that these this group of alien, uh, you know, ET doctors wanted to establish an etheric. Clinic, In other words, in the etheric realm, so it would be attached or adjacent to his existing clinic uh, that he worked with. And so they made an agreement with these folks, and people were healed. Uh, They they didn't have to know anything about how they were treated, but these uh, ETs would apparently take them into some kind of a... um, transitional state and bring them into the etheric clinic do the work and and put them back uh they, i don't know some of them had different levels of awareness of this but this is just plain remarkable it and sure is. and it's not just me saying this this is all documented this went on for 10 20 years and uh, this gentleman died so the clinic was no longer there in its original sense but there is a lady in Las Vegas who is apparently carrying on this work, and at the actual status of that, I'm not sure, but I did look at her website, and this is just one remarkable example uh, of ET human interaction, which is interfacing, which is one of the 25 keys, the benefits for humans to move ahead. That's
0: a big key. That's a big key. You know, I've been covering the what we loosely call the UFO so- story or subject um, just sort of a figurative term at this point, quite a bit lately, and really getting into the the interaction between human. And eat well, we say ET, but that's also a loose term because we may be dealing with interdimensional in some cases, we may be dealing with sp- spirit entities and other forms. Um, but let's just say non human entities. So, when I read this in your book, I was absolutely fascinated. Again, this is not something can you imagine something like this as a as a, a segment story on CNN? I mean, <laughs> and it's well, just- <laughs> you
1: know, you know, uh, I got myself a shattering glimpse of the obvious, what I like to call it. The other day, I was looking at some of these learned scholars and and the numbers of um, views they had had on their uh, YouTube videos. You know, they were making like statements on United Nations stuff and all this, and it was in one or two hundred views. And then I started looking at the UFO and you know Sasquatch and all these things. My God, they're in the eight hundred thousands or millions oh, yeah. of them. Absolutely. So that is a wild card that many of the new age people probably never saw coming. It's mm-hmm. just another example of how change is, is wrapping all around us and cloaking us, and, yeah. and we're on the we're on the ride. We are, are ready to achieve escape velocity at some point, I think.
0: I think you're right. Oh, you're giving me such a sense of inspiration because I have to tell you there are times because we're still, it feels like many of us have a a foot in two different worlds, one foot on earth and one, Ah. you know, still on earth, but in another, having the conversations that you and I are having, there's still so many that I wouldn't dare bring these things up with, not because I'm afraid of ridicule, but because they just don't want to talk about it. But, uh, But that is, I think you have to really look at uh, doing juxtaposition, uh, you know, putting, you know, what you were just talking about—the view of the the mainstream, um, the stories that are coming out through the mainstream and their YouTube channels—versus these much more interesting subjects that people are really starting to attach themselves to and finding validity in. And not only that, you know, what I'm finding, so many people, lay people that I am talking to on the street, if you will that have their own experiences that they have not heretofore shared with anyone. So I think what we're seeing is not only people that are just naturally inquisitive about these subjects, I think they're relating because they're having their own experiences that they have not been able to share.
1: Well, that's one of the wonderful things about, you know, I'm just calling consciousness technology, all the, all the different modes of interfacing with, with the higher energies and information fields uh it's it's just amazing and you know yes and in, in my world people would be encouraged children in their schools to to develop their psychic powers why because you can bypass all of the sorts of news overlay and negative all of the filters and having this power this empowers people everywhere uh, no matter how poor if they have some Level of communication, you know, some access, and especially women in those countries where things are so restrictive, uh, it's a very heart-wrenching thing to Mm. see the way they are and live in. uh, I lived in Kuwait for a while, and yet those ladies, when they're allowed to get into a public venue, are so strong. From rising from this, impre- I'm sorry, repression, that it, it is just the most heartwarming thing, and and you've seen many of these things in in these war torn countries where ladies are leading new movements mm-hmm. for liberation or for just just greening or driving cars, they want to be able to have their own driver's license. They can't do that in and Saudi.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of people that still don't realize that's going on. Yeah. And again, I think one of the points that you made earlier at the top of the interview is it's through challenge, and it seems like the more heinous the ch- the challenge and the the evil that's going on, the more people are pushed to see what they're really made of. I think this is a case in point. In a very sort of convoluted way, these challenges and this you know, um, inequality uh, on all levels is, I don't know, on some level might be a blessing in disguise, because it's forcing us to see who we really are and what we're really capable of and getting through this. So well, you know, before we close out, I want to discuss two forms of communication that you bring up in your book. That is after death communication, and animal communication. These are two distinct topics. And yet I think that there's some connecting factors. Beginning with animal communication, that that's a big one for me, because as some in the audience may know, I, I've written extensively about uh, reincarnation of our animal companion. So this naturally caught my attention. Would you be willing, Elliot, to talk about the experience that you had with the passing of your male 19-year-old cat, male cat named Daisy, <laughs> it's precious, yes. and and how this cat made his presence known after his own passing?
1: Yes, uh, I had my wife uh, and mission partner of mm. thirty five years. She was a, a, a celebrity psychic, and and we traveled all around the world working with rock stars and other people. And so she uh, she went very quickly. She had a heart attack and mm. never recovered. I had to shut her machines off, and I refused to allow for the separation of the death barrier. So part of me, I think, went, but I had one foot still in the ground here. Mm-hmm. And uh, my cat, uh, of course, was very important to me during that period of grieving. Sure. And so he had a degenerative kidney uh, situation, and, you know, I cared for him and kept his bed beside mine. And when he was ready to pass, I actually brought him into my office and held him uh, on On my lap and when he took his last breath, and then I tell how I processed that by carving an epitaph for him and The interesting thing is I had an animal communicator, and this is a credentialed practice now mm-hmm. because people are spending billions on their pets they sure are. now, what this does is resolve problems you can, You can find out why well, the cat 's not using a cat box and things like this it 's funny but This is a serious uh, kind of family breakup situation at times. So he communicated with this lady. He wanted some roses. He said he told her where he wanted to be buried under the tree that we had had, uh, you know, some wonderful times there. And he also told me he knew about the pack rat. And I had a pack rat get into a Lexus that I had and eat the wiring so that I barely got down to the dealership, uh, which was two hours away. And I had a loner car, brought that up, and the pack rat damaged that one, so I had to pay extra, the engine had to be taken out of the oh first car. Oh, my Oh, yeah, so he said he knew about the pack rat. And he also said that he was coming and bothering me at the computer so I would take a break. These are the kind of heartwarming things that you find out that nobody could make up, you know. I mean, you just know the truth is... Self-evident, yeah, right? Sure. The truth
0: the, is the truth. Absolutely, the truth is self-evident. I agree. I, I and you're right. There's so many people that have become even closer. This is all also a very interesting trend to see. Spending so much money on their animal companions. I I don't like to call them pets because I think they're more than their <laughs> partners.
1: they um, uh, they're they're. they're uh, I think they've taken a far greater role than. Uh, say, 50 years ago when when dogs and cats were kind of around the neighborhood and, yeah. in and out, you know, they're pampered and they're very special animals. They
0: they are. And the fact that we're recognizing that, I think that is also somewhat encouraging because I think we're, we're starting to realize that, you know, well, first of all, they know how to teach unconditional love. That's for sure. Yes. So it's a wonderful thing. Well, there's so many things that I so many more things I wanted to get to. We've only scratched the surface today and all that you cover in your great book, Brave New Mind. All of these ideas are essential, in my opinion, to the accelerated growth of what you've what you've called homo novus, right? Or the new human. Here's what I'd like to do, if, with your permission, I think our audience would love it if we could list your 25 master keys on the website next to the interview. Would you be willing to let us do that so they could get a taste of what you cover?
1: Yes, absolutely, because I, I there is so much in the book, and yet, you know, I've made a great effort to dis- distill this down so that people who read English as a second language
2: mm.
1: uh, can can. Can read this and also it's set up so you can just open it to one section and start reading if you could. You want to keep it and use it in the airport or in the bathroom. I think you're absolutely
0: right. I love the way (laughs) you have it organized. So you've got the 25 master keys and then just this, you know, list of, I guess you could maybe call them sub, well, they're subjects, they're subtopics. They're
1: paradigms in themselves. So it's a a cornucopia. Use that term uh, a mm-hmm. forest of new paradigms i yes. agree
0: i agree well kudos on all that you're doing i'd like to have you back maybe we could cover another five or six keys because <laughs> there's just so much so i would encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of this wonderful book brave new mind uh which elaborates exquisitely on all of these keys tell us where we can find
1: your book yes the book is available on uh, amazon.com in both uh e book and paperback format and of mm-hmm. course you can always sample a book and see how you like it okay and also there are several youtube interviews and other also awesome radio show interviews on our website at Arcos cielos that's the name of our foundation a r c o s c i e l o s dot com
0: Tell us a little bit with the couple minutes we have left about the foundation
1: oh this is a foundation uh that we set up uh in nineteen seventies wow. and when we came to sedona arizona here and well one of the things that we've done that i think was perhaps the most groundbreaking was I we took copies of uh... i knew robert miles the producer of fast walkers which is mm. a UFO expose and i had met a number of the people in, in that movie and we took uh... we funded the delivery of three hundred and fifty copies to every office in Congress, and we got it through at the time when the security was the tightest, so they were hand-delivered, and also another 300 went up to Canada,
2: Hmm. and
1: the folks up there uh, distributed those to the Parliament members, and also requested a feedback letter. How's that? That
2: is fantastic.
1: You know, that's a a good strike for the Warriors, and it's, it's something that's been done, and it's been There's another round going out, not from us, but because we started this thing so that the word is getting out. The truth is out there. The
0: truth is out there. And with people like you, you're helping to get the truth to the people. So, Dr. Elliot Maynard, author of several books, including your latest, Brave New Mind, Living in a Future Science World. Thank you so much for sharing some time with me today.
1: And thank you so much Alexis for everything you do. It's your show is brilliant and thank you. And your your able, ability to cut through that kind of information and and come out with the the nuggets and tidbits is wonderful. <laughs>
0: well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Take care.
1: Likewise. Bye-bye.
0: Many, including Elliot, agree that our vibrational frequency has been speeding up exponentially, and challenges that can force us to realize our potential are also gaining incredible velocity. Even the knowledge of covert operations, like the ongoing utilization of wormhole technology to travel the stars, remote viewing experiments, and other intelligence-based programs that have been kept from the masses, can be viewed as keys to unlock the power we all have innately. Brave New Mind leaves no stone unturned in exploring these vast wellsprings of knowledge and wisdom. I hope you'll have a look at Dr. Maynard's 25 Master Keys, which we've listed below this interview, but the keys only scratch the surface. You can visit Elliot Maynard's website also linked below to get a closer look at what Brave New Mind is all about and also pick up a copy of his book. I thank you for listening to this episode of Conscious Inquiry. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.